0: i guess i have to announce what we're doing yeah (laughs) why do i feel rusty about this thing as it feels like oh i haven't done this in a while oh my god i want to dust
1: dust off the old uh
0: podcasting skills (laughs) (laughs) okay we begin hello everyone welcome to spooky season it's even more eyes just imagine a ton of eyes like popping out of the wall beside you and looking at you. <laughs> That's us right now. And uh, so in honor of spooky season, or as is more fondly referred to as gay Christmas, um, we are going to look at a handful of spooky chili films from times before. And today we're kicking off spooky season with uh, bed knobs and broomsticks. I mean, in honor of the now late Angela Lansbury, So, James, uh, talk us through, like, nostalgia for this film, because I have a really interesting memory of this
1: one. Oh, okay. I think there was a period of time, I do remember watching this one quite a few times, Um, Mm. but over the years, my memory of the film has really dissipated, and so all I can really remember is that sequence at the end of the film where she brings to life all the... Figures and statues in the museum, and then they go and basically kick the Nazis out of wherever they are. I remember obviously the animated sequence at the football, It was quite impressive. Yeah. But for some reason, this film just didn't have the same nostalgic hold as things like, like Mary Poppins or. So I'm trying to think about that combination of real life and animation as well. So Who Framed Roger Rabbit, yeah, like,
0: yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, I just didn't cast the same spell. Um, I see what you did there, dude. <laughs> trying, to, trying to keep the theme going. <laughs> yeah, I do remember bobbing along. That was mm. the most memorable number from it. I, I really could not remember yeah. any other song, and, and actually, I don't think there are that many songs in it. From
0: no, um, not really. Yeah, no.
1: and at least not ones as memorable as, as Poppins. I do remember Angela Lansbury and David Tomlinson, mainly because Tomlinson, obviously, again, he appeared in Mary Poppins as the Father, uh, Mr. Banks. And Lansbury, I think it was just around this time that, as a child, I think she was doing other things as well that she was appearing. I mean, her voice was very distinctive. You think about Beauty and the Beast, and then she was also in uh, Anastasia as well, that 20th Century Fox animation um, and you could you could tell it was her voice. She was trying to put on some things, mm. like Russian accent. Uh, there will be no yeah. more girls. My granddaughter is dead. <laughs> uh, so it's around the time that I guess I could recognise Angela Lansbury. And this is probably mm. the first film I actually saw her in. So, yeah, but other than mm. that, no, most of the film did yeah. not carry on in my imagination past, I would say, about six,
0: seven years old, really. For me, this film was one of those ones that I saw when I saw it, I think I was a kid. And all I remember about this film was, again, like I remember the ending sequence, which was around the animated suits of armor and all that stuff going to kick the Nazi's ass. But it just seemed I was watching a weird fever dream. I think I actually may may have suppressed my memory (laughs) of this film completely because... The film was weird in so many parts. Like I remember there was an animated sequence with with like the lion and the mm-hmm. weird football match and then there was um the bed, but even like there are just just so many weird sequences. Like when you think about the film from a narrative perspective, it's really fucking bizarre. And I went to get into that because that really was the impression I got when I watched it again. This is just my way of like quick segue into mm-hmm. how I Experience this film now again. Weird fever dream. Like there are so many parts of the film that I just kept thinking, "What the hell is going on?" Like the first time she shows up on like this motorcycle with the fumes like coming out oh, from yeah. behind, and she's <laughs> supposed to be this about that. <laughs> eccentric person who is just getting a delivery of a broom and a cat, and then the ladies they're just asking, you know, "So what are you doing with this broom?" I'm like, um, "Ma'am, I would be really concerned as to why someone is sending you a broom in the post," but you know what? It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> and there were just so many little weird oddities around the character. And even the acting from the children just made me feel, what is going on? Like, why is this... 12-year-old boy, full-scale blackmailing you as a, what's what's happening, you know? (laughs) It was just narratively weird, this whole thing about, oh, she's a witch, but she's getting her books from someone who knows nothing about sorcery and is just (laughs) marketing it, like, I didn't understand that there was a Ponzi scheme for witches, but (laughs) it's just... It was just like one of the most narratively bizarre things I had ever watched. And then there's this kid reading stuff from a children's storybook that they end up going to this animated land somewhere. And no one thinks that they're high off their tits in this animated land playing football with a bunch of animals. And it's like, what? (laughs) And then they come back from that because they wanted to get some spell. And then this spell helps them fight the Nazis. It literally looks like this was pieced together by two people who were high on shrooms or something. I was like, this is... I just couldn't. I'm sorry, Angela. I know like this is in your memory, but what the fuck? <laughs> I'll just stop talking there and like hand over to you, I guess.
1: It's so funny listening to you describe it because when you start to break down the film in this way, it has this narrative eccentricity and a kookiness to it but when I found myself watching some of the film and not asking too many questions it does actually have a charm to it though I don't really think the film has a moral core or that people change too much in ways that are greatly unexpected so when you start to see Slansbury she starts the film on her own she doesn't really want these kids there she can't wait to you know pass them off to somebody else And then you have, obviously, David Tomlinson's characters, who I'd forgotten, actually. I thought genuinely he was a sorcerer. Then you discover that, well... He's He's just a scammer. Well, he's just, yeah, he's a charlatan. (laughs) Uh, And yet the film obviously tries to work on the conceit that oh these two you know they're, they're charmed by each other and they fall in love and then eventually the kids decide to stay with her and so on and then a nice of family you know while he goes off to war um though we never get any sort of confirmation whether he makes it back or not he's <laughs> no, kind of it's a bit of a you assume you assume that he did he was only in the home guard yeah. I guess, you know i don't think he actually was was going off to fight i'm not sure besides
0: like the home guard was literally just a bunch of old men i don't think they were doing much fighting, honestly.
1: No, it's just that, like, manning the, the barricades, wasn't it, or whatever, or the, the battlements, yeah, or yeah. whatever. I think the things that stood out to me a little bit more, I did find the kids also quite enjoyable. Because they're more mercurial than a lot of the kids that are in these types of films. Like you say, he, he discovers the whole thing with a witch and then tries to exploit her. Um, yeah. Trying to get you know, sausages and mash and,
0: and trying to get a trip back <laughs> yeah. to London.
1: Though I do think that yeah. the kids, once they start going on the adventure, they fall into the background a little bit. I suppose you've got the little boy who keeps mm. saying, No one asked me anything! You're thinking like, well, yeah. uh, why would they? You're just reading a comic book, aren't you? I mean... <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> i a quiet child, you know? I didn't realise how much Mrs Price's objectives really were. She wanted to become a witch so she could help the war effort. which I thought originally she was a witch. And then yeah. I thought that... She was just she just got caught up with it by accident, a bit like how she takes on the kids mm. by accident. You know, she's got this big plan to try and somehow help turn the ties of the war, which of course by the end of the film she does. I don't know whether it's a kind of jingoism. I'm not really sure. It's a definitely a sort of soft jingoism, if you want to call it that. Mm. Other than that, I think the only other thing that stood out to me was just how sexist um, David Tomlinson's character could be. Though yeah, I did, of course, yeah. I did wonder whether this was less sort of, oh, it's it's just sexism, than this was just one of the defects of his character. Do you know what I mean? It's like we talked about this before when it came to earlier Disney, how there would be... Just very explicit sexism, but this was sort of seen yep. as defects of characters like Grumpy, yeah. for instance. He's always going, oh, the woman's whack. Mm. And in this he kept going, oh, women learn to file things. I think you are meant to look at him as this unscrupulous character. hes I don't think it's very endearing when the two do end up together. Yeah. And also, he takes on, I think he does take on quite a big role in the end. That was sort of my series of thoughts about it.
0: I mean, besides the jingoism, because I was just like, oh yeah, this is one of those films about we came together, fought the big bad, which in this case was the Nazis from World War II. The fact that the whole thing had to do with the war effort, I'm like, your biggest contribution is to become a witch? Ma'am, what are you on? What? <laughs> what? <laughs> do, you, do you see what that mean by like just narrative? Yeah. It was like, yeah. w- what the hell? And not, not only do you become a witch, but you become a witch via a subscription service to somebody who is just copying a bunch of stuff out of a seemingly magical book and sending them out to, when did he know that there was a market for would-be witches? Like, I'm really concerned about this world (laughs) that we're in, you know? (laughs) I mean, I was thinking, are you the one customer? Are there, like, other people who are in on this? Like, what's going on? Like, how does he sustain the subscription service with one person? And if you're not the only person, where are the other witches? Yes, yes, yeah, 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 yeah. Who, who, who are waiting on that final spell. <laughs> who are waiting on that final spell? Like, what, what is this mess? You know, like, I couldn't... I was just struggling to make sense of the entire thing narratively mm. but beyond that maybe there was an attempt for the animation studio to try to flex that whole thing about live action plus animated which yes, yeah. looking at it now considering when it was done is kind of impressive it probably had to have been animated frame by frame and you could see that obviously they were still getting the hang of it because there are times when like the like the lighting goes off and you know like the characters mm-hmm. seem like displaced or stuff or you know that kind of thing and it was kind of interesting to think about it from That perspective as a sort of piece of cinematic history, but Mm. not really thinking about what the plot line was saying, because honestly, the longer I watched the plot, I just kept thinking, (laughs) what is this, honey? Like, who came up with this story? Like, what's going on? And even the resolution is bizarre, because, I mean, they go into this animated world with the animals and then they get a spell that helps them animate a bunch of suits of armor or something to go fight the Nazis and the way the characterization looked was kind of psychotic because I would imagine that if I were in an army and I saw a bunch of clearly empty suits of armor marching towards me, why am I shooting? Like, are you dumb? Like, are you high? Yes, what's, yes they are. What's yeah, going yeah, yeah. on? That, that's, that's, and the point, that's the point, the That's, that's mm-hmm. kind of what I saw. There was this attempt to, like, portray the Nazis or the bad guys as just being very stupid. Are you not embarrassed? Like, people that are this dumb still uh, invaded you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, are they well-organized or are they dumb? Like, pick a lane. Because this isn't making sense. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. She wanted the locomotion spell what was she going to do with it once she had it in order to aid the war effort? Was she, was she going to create like these uh, flying guns? She'd animate the guns and they'd all go off and just start slaughtering uh, people. Yeah. So I guess it wouldn't be that. I suppose it would be offensive as yeah. opposed to aggressive. But you are yeah. just sort of like, well, once that had been seized upon, the fact that mm. she had you know created... I guess it would just literally be flying guns who could fire on but not be fired upon.
0: Like drones,
1: basically. Yeah, <laughs> basically. Roses and rows of drones. <laughs> yeah, but the, you you're telling me the Ministry of Defence wouldn't just go, well, we could just use these in the battlefield, just would we'll take yeah. them over to Germany and so on.
0: They should have just invested more in like their witches training program. Like imagine yeah. how much damage you could do with just like three witches rather than like an army of men. Just, <laughs> you
1: yeah, know, just send them and turn them to get them to turn them into rabbits. But they're only rabbits temporarily, aren't they? Or something. I don't yeah. know. I don't know. Because the museum thing was yeah. just such an accident. It just so happened that they were you... there yeah. and then she, she called yeah. them all to life. See, we were very tongue in cheek when we were thinking of doing this for Spooky Season because I honestly, yeah, because people said to me it's not a scary film, which is true. But I think if you edited this film in the right way, I think you actually could make it extremely frightening, or you could make like an adult (laughs) version of this because there's certain bits like when I forgot when they go to Portobello Road, they basically get picked up by. (laughs) Bruce Forsyth playing a gangster. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know, he's got the uh, the knife. And I was half thinking he yeah. was going to, like, you know, stab David Thompson and go, oh, it's a bit low yeah. there. Higher, higher, higher. Right, right up to his gullet. <laughs> you know, and uh, I've obviously got all the occultist stuff, the fact that they're getting the, you know, these spells out of this book. I mean, the sequence where uh, they're all being attacked by bits of the furniture because she's the house starts to come apart, doesn't it, or something, and they're all trying to push stuff down. I mean, that could be very scary. And then I was thinking about the last sequence... Obviously, it's Disney, it's all, you know, very uh-huh. you, no blood or anything like that. But that actually could have been quite a yeah. terrifying sequence where you've got the suit of armour. There's this bit where I actually thought the Nazi general, or whatever it was, the army general, was going to get it. Because he doesn't see the great suit of armour with the axe. And the axe is kind of yeah. very strategically missed people. You know, I was thinking, oh, if, Someone like Tarantino or whatever directed this, uh, directed yep. this sequence. It'd just be, you know, <laughs> people's heads coming <laughs> off and, you know, hands chopped off and stuff like that.
0: I use essentially proposing, like, a brand new idea where, like, Quentin Tarantino does a remake of bed and <laughs> It becomes the horror story of our generation or something. Yes. I think
1: the last thing I'll say about it, and coming back to, obviously, Angela Lansbury, I do think... Hmm. At the beginning of the film, she is really good because she does yeah. put herself in this very standoffish. She's very kind of wide eyed and and she has no real interest in these kids. She just does what needs to be yeah. done. And then the minute she puts them to bed, you just see this energy as she rushes down in, in pure excitement to yeah. try and do the, uh, the spells and stuff on the broom think she's she's pretty good in this um at least at mm. the beginning of the film yeah. and it's, a, it's it's a pretty good performance and I, it's yeah. just like you say it's them within a film that feels incredibly patchwork
0: speaking of the patchworky bits and this is going to be the last thing i talk about before i end of this podcast because when you mentioned portobello road i think that was a thing that i didn't even think about but like remember that entire like dance sequence in the middle of the film was like what the shit like people are just like (laughs) dancing randomly in the middle of the road and it gets tinged with a couple of what i believe to be quite racialized stereotypes Mm. especially when i think the what would have been like the Indian supposedly like dance troop comes through and there's you know, they're looked upon very weirdly. Their movements yes. are kind of, yeah. I don't know how to describe it. And I was like, what is this doing in the middle of this film? It just seemed like it was shoved in there for no reason. And then there's a part when they're like ladies in like the, in like the skirts, which kind of reminds me of that sequence in the middle of, um, West Side Story, you know, like, that whole, like, dance sequence in the middle of the streets, like, because I think the film was a musical in parts, that section was was. supposed to be, like, the musical bit, but... That section was just really weird to me, like the people dancing in the middle of the street, especially with all the weird stereotypes around like different cultures and the like and I guess it was just trying to like depict it as a sort of cultural melting pot, but it was done in such a way that made it look like all these cultures are these oddities and eccentricities, they, they, like the prim and proper, which just has to kind of like navigate around like, hoo you know, um, I, I've, I've just been dragged into a dance and I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, it's like, again. picked
1: up on that as well, and I'd, I'd completely forgotten it. My yeah. worry was that it was actually just some guys in brown face wearing beards. Yeah. That was it looked I, like guys I, in brown I, face. Yeah, wearing I, I looked at that and I thought, hmm. I think the later sequence, as mm. you said, and I'm not, I'm not, again, it's so non culturally specific. I guess it's meant to. Yeah. I, I think there's some steel drums, so I think the assumption is Caribbean. Um, yeah, exactly. I'm not quite sure. I think we're actually black actors. So yeah, yeah it those is, are actually black actors. Mm-hmm.
0: But again, it was like the way that sequence looked and I just kept looking at it like, okay, This is what we in, you know, the 21st century would describe as problematic because Mm. I was just looking at it and thinking, okay, so this film is about, there's a sort of semi-nationalist streak in here. Let's just be honest about it. You know, like Mm. Britain, like defending its homeland against the foreigners and the invaders and so on. But every time there's a representation of like a foreigner in the film, it's like this hyper-reduced, almost caricaturesque um, representation. And I just kept thinking, this is a film that's marketed towards children. So you're already starting to like almost culturally negatively brainwashed them from such an early age. And this is just thrust a smack dab into the middle of this film. And my real issue wasn't just the fact that that was in there, but also the way people responded to that, like the people on the streets were responding to that. It was either some somewhere between like exoticizing and disapproving and it seemed like okay i don't know why this is in this film at all like it doesn't serve a narrative function and it just seems like you've seized a good opportunity to culturally caricature a group of people and then shit on them and then move on with your plots which doesn't also make sense so i just felt really sort of like put put off at at that scene i was like what's happening
1: the only thing i would say is that yeah in terms of the the sudden push of the film to make these particular moments stand out. So they're not part of a crowd in London. They are, as you say, focusing on them as an oddity. The one thing I would say is that it does also wrap them up within the war effort. We're
0: in like Um, uniform, yeah. Yeah,
1: so I I think there's an attempt to show, which I wonder as well, considering the time in the 70s, because even up to the present, the acknowledgement of people from Britain's former colonies, you know, an integral part of the war effort. Mm. So it's yeah. interesting that in this film, in its very, very slight way, that it even tips its hat. Now, don't get me wrong, like you said, it, it's reducing something down to yeah. an oddity in the midst of London. I mean, I was surprised that we didn't see, start seeing, you know, Jewish stereotypes as well, or yeah. something, you know. Yeah. I mean, so...
0: yeah. I think that was what I, think, I think. I really think they do the same to the Scots it. as well, don't they? I mean, yeah, the Scots, they, exactly. The Scots, yeah, they do the same yeah. thing with the Scots and everything. It's like, okay, you're trying to represent these cultures, if I would say that, but you're doing it in such a way that makes it almost look like you are mocking them, while mm. also integrating them into the plot. And I was like, I mean, it would have been easier if you just actually had a dance troupe that was a mixture of the people. That would have made more sense to me. Yeah, like, just mix them in. You know, but like instead, they each had their own like sequence to be whatever version of that culture was being represented in the film. But I think my real issue wasn't just that it was represented, but how people were reacting to it. So it wasn't yes. like, oh, people yeah. saw them and were like welcoming them in with like open arms, like, oh, yeah, you know, thank you. You are like part of us. It really looked a lot like, oh, you are those other guys. Yeah, um, yeah, no, you I know, know what you
1: mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: And I was like, I don't know what this does narratively, because I was like, this doesn't do anything for the plot. It doesn't do anything for the characters. And if this is the message that you are leaving within this film for people who are going to be impressionable to watch it, it's like, what are you leaving behind? I guess I was really thinking about like the associations that are going to be made from that. First of all, in terms of the reductionist nature of the representation, but also in terms of like the attitudinal like, recommendation as well, because... The spirit of the re- of the response to them was exclusionary. Mm, 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 mm. Yes, yeah. and I was like, I'm not a fan, you know. But no. then, again, this is just one of many things that sits into like what I imagine to be like a massive clusterfuck of a film. So, <laughs> but anyway, we watched it. It was alright. Um, it was meant to be a children's film. It was slapstick. It was comedic. It had it highlights. It had its moments. It had its musical numbers, which I guess were fine. But like all in all, yeah. I'm just yeah,
1: yeah, I agree, and I, I think that it's so much more escapist than maybe mm. some of the other films from childhood. That, as I say, you know, yeah. to come back to Mary Poppins again, I mean, there's an yeah. element of escapism in Poppins, but there seems to be at least whether you you know take it on or think it's too saccharine or
0: whatever, it does have a, an, an emotional core to it the narrative consistency i wasn't getting it oh yeah and i was like at 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 this point i've just kind of given up of trying to make sense of this film and just i'm just going to watch it for the weirdness that is and Mm. and all the fever dreams that are sure to follow but anyway
1: we also haven't talked about the fact that this film was a perfect opportunity for some very crafty writers to get in a lot of innuendo Mm. um yeah (laughs) yes (laughs) because <laughs> I remember touch you, you telling you, you yeah yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Are you telling me that you know you like you sent me that uh, that line where he goes, um, what's he's got to do with my knob? <laughs> what, what's he going to do with my knob? I mean, how many times that Angela Lansbury had to go? You know, uh, uh, just twist the knob there. Just twist the knob. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I bet she was twisting David Tomlinson's knob by the end of the film. Woohoo. Absolute fuckers.
0: Yeah. It was just yeah. I guess I guess that bit was kind of cheeky, but anyway, like mm that's honestly about as much as I have to say about the film it's just yeah uh, me too it's fine yeah it's, it's great so anyway that is the end of our introduction to spooky season we started with a very non-spooky film unless Quentin Tarantino decides to make that remake and um, <laughs> join us in the next episode when we're going to be talking about something that actually has to do with like the creepy and the spooky the mysterious and you know the cookie. Um see you then <laughs> see you then okay bye <laughs>